Well, Dylan, uh, we are back for another drop zone. And Sam Burns is our king this week. He kind of has been our king for almost three years. We spent a lot of time with him in November of 2018 uh, for a cover story with uh, Joaquin Neiman, Cameron Champ. We put them all on the cover at the same time. And ever since, only two of those three have actually lived up to it. Joaquin has won on tour multiple times. Cameron Champ has won on tour multiple times. Sam Burns hadn't done it until today. What's your main takeaway for for Sam Burns finally getting it done? Well, that he finally got it done is the the biggest takeaway. It's funny <laughs> thinking back to that cover because we were looking to do a Rising Stars uh, story, but there weren't a super clear cut crop of Rising Stars. Like it wasn't exactly obvious who should be on that cover. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we shouldn't have done the story. One year later, with Wolf, Morikawa, and Hovland, it was just that much more obvious. People had their eyes on them, and then obviously it panned out. I would say, you know, it's not like looking back at one of these covers where um, you were like, I can't believe those guys were picked to be the, you know, the rising stars or the best rookies or whatever. I think that our predictions now that Sam Burns has won – they look pretty good. Yeah. These are three really yeah. good young players. Neiman is obviously the the best of the bunch so far in terms of what they've done in their career. But um, I, I like Sam Burns for making us look a little bit better here. And the questions about his closing, which had cropped up, I mean, he pretty much put those to bed. That's my biggest takeaway. Yeah, I, I was thinking about those three guys, and when we interviewed them, they all said we want to be world number one, which is kind of the classic MO for tour players because that just signifies so much. Uh, you know, you can win a major and not become world number one, but if you become world number one, that means you've won multiple times and maybe multiple majors. So uh, I was curious today, though, thinking like you think about Neiman, you think about Burns, you think about Champ. They probably could all win a major, but I would be a little bit shocked if any of them did. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely want that future for them. But when you think about young guns in the game, they'd been maybe be top 10 players of the young bunch, but they're not necessarily all top three. So we can stop talking about the November 18 cover shoot and really talk about Burns. He wins by three. He reaches 17 under. He was at 18 under, and then he kind of well, bogeyed the 18th, but he wins by three. And, uh, well, for one, your boy Keegan Bradley kind of choked. But for Burns, before we get to Bradley, these things are never guaranteed. Sam Burns can have all the success in the world as a junior player, tons of success at LSU. He wins uh, the Jack Nicholas Award. He's NCAA champion. I, th- I think he was NCAA champion. He was, he was very, very good at LSU. He was the number one golf recruit entering LSU but he hadn't won like until you get it done. There's definitely a wall up for people not believing that you can get it done. And this happens to a lot of guys, you know, at least a decent amount. Patrick Rogers is a pretty good example. He had all the success in the world at Stanford has not won on the PGA tour, despite everyone, his age winning on the PGA Mm -hmm. tour. Sometimes you don't get it done. And, uh, you know, I think Burns probably got it done at the right pace for him, even though people were clamoring for it to finally happen. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Eamon Lynch's article from a couple weeks ago in Golf Week where he, he said, you know, essentially the record books are littered with 
players that are quote unquote too good to never win again. He's talking about, you yeah. know, Spieth and Fowler and how really nothing is guaranteed. And and Sam Burns was that stud. He was so good in his year on the web.com tour in 2018. Uh, he had a win. I think he had a handful of top three finishes. But there's no guarantee that you're going to win on tour. If you win once, there's no guarantee it's going to happen again. Um, yeah. The relief that he must feel and that you could see in his emotional reaction after the win that's pretty cool and it and it was a reminder that yes these guys can like secure uh livelihoods for themselves they can secure millions of dollars they can really get set up as he has but the actual win is just a never a guaranteed thing even if you're a phenom even if you're a, a really good young player and always have been so i don't know i mean what like what sort of stratosphere do we put Sam Burns in right now? You said he's top ten in terms of young guns. He's not top three. Like, does he belong in some sort of conversation still, or 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 does this change anything for you? You know, not really, because <laughs> like this isn't a gigantic tournament. The field was pretty good. The Volspar field has gotten better over the years. It's a good win, and it'll mean a lot to him. I don't think it necessarily changes how I think about him. Um, he's always been quite good. For me, I'm just thrilled that he got it done this year because he's had a bit of a roller coaster year. Like he played pretty. Like he he had amassed four top tens going into this week, but like actually, I mean, he had three straight missed cuts. He blew yeah. up at the players. Like. There's a bit turbulent there at the beginning, uh, the end of March, beginning of April. So yeah. Well, especially after have, it looked like he was going to win the Genesis and then did not play well down the stretch there. Yeah. And so I don't think it necessarily changes things. I think it, like, would you say he's better than, like, Scotty Scheffler? No, I don't think so. No. And so, like, I mean, Scotty Scheffler is kind of – if he, if Scotty Scheffler, a guy who has not won on the PGA Tour, is of an ilk greater than Sam Burns, then Sam Burns isn't all that high then. Yeah. But he's only 24. He's 24. I think he's going to jump inside the world top 50, which is massive for his career, um, especially if he can yes. stay there. Um, he can. He's one of those guys that, that really can do it all. When his short game clicks, uh, he's got plenty of length to be in that top tier of talent. You know, he's got... He definitely, you know, I guess it's a cliche thing to say. He doesn't seem to have a lot of fear, but he's actually shown that maybe he does have some fear on Sunday. Certainly yeah, today he didn't totally. look like he had fear, but um, I don't know. He's a tough guy to categorize because he falls sort of in between the cracks there. Um, Honestly, yeah, he, he kind of strikes me like uh, a Georgia Bulldog, one of those guys like Chris Kirk, Harris English, Brian Harmon, kind of a bunch of guys who are very talented in college are 100% worthy of a, an eight to 10 year tour career. Sam Burns will probably have that maybe longer. Um, and will probably bag a win every once in a while. It, I could see him winning five times in his PGA tour career. Is Sam Burns going to play in a Ryder cup team? His best chance might be this year. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's had, he's had a good year. He's going to get a bunch of points from this. Um, if he plays well the rest of the year, he's there are so many captain's picks that Steve Stricker might take a flyer on him. Um, 
But yeah, I don't know. It feels weird that we're kind of dogging the it guy does. right now I know on we're the day so- in which he won by three. You know what we're doing? We're overcorrecting from the like. <laughs> uh, we're overcorrecting from the recency bias of you know someone winning a golf tournament and then immediately crowning him, saying, "Oh man, yes, this guy could win next week. He could win the next four weeks. He could win next week." Yeah. It's Happy Wells well, Fargo uh, Championship Week, by the way, Sean. Yeah, as a Wells Fargo card holder, it's obviously a huge week for me. You know what? I was, I'm excited for the field. I'm excited for the field, and it did get me thinking, though. There's a few tournaments on the schedule that seem to have their status, mostly based off the fact that it's a tournament Tiger Woods used to play with some regularity. <laughs> you know, it's like that yeah. was how the golf media of you know a half generation before us seemed to decide a tournament's importance basically whether tiger woods was going to show up or not i think that that's still why we subconsciously or consciously mark tory pines as like the beginning of the tour season is because that's where tiger woods would always start his pga tour season i think that's probably a a fair characterization they the course is a good course too quail hollow (laughs) like yeah, and the course demands a, a an incredible performance. Um, Rory McIlroy's won there. Ricky Fowler's won there. I think that at, elevates it a little bit mm-hmm. too. Um, so I don't know. It it is interesting. Um, let's move on to your your boy Keegan Bradley. Yes. I'm gonna cede the floor to you and have you try and explain how much of a choke job that was. Uh, or if he if if Sam Burns went out and won it, Whew. well, that's a good question, Sean. I mean, I think the shot you're referring to came at what the 13th hole, where Keegan Bradley was right in the mix. Not necessarily only that shot, but yeah, well, yeah, that one for sure. He dumped one in the water on the par three. He played really well on the front nine, shot three under, and then just couldn't make a birdie coming home. Shot three over. Uh, ended up losing by three. So, yeah, he didn't exactly, you know, sprint through the finish line in this one. Uh, The thing about Keegan Bradley is his flaws, his weaknesses are always very close to the surface. Like, this guy has actually been playing well. He's been having a pretty good stretch. He sometimes puts together two or three good tournament days and doesn't complete it. But, I mean, when he was in contention on on Saturday this week, uh, I think he missed – four putts on the back nine inside of eight feet. I mean, he's always said, mm. look, if he can just be an average putter, if he can be strokes gain neutral putting, then he knows he's going to be one of the better players on tour. Um, it wasn't just that he missed a bunch of eight foot and in putts. Yeah. He, he, he could have made things very interesting in the last few holes, but he missed two putts that were five feet and less. Those are your 75 ish percent and better make putts yeah he missed them both he missed them both when he could have grabbed strokes on burns each time yeah so that's that's not a good look Look, i'm I'm sorry i'm gonna have a hard time defending it i mean (laughs) just looking at his uh at his numbers it's pretty stark the difference between his long game and his short game uh he's eighth on tour and strokes gained approach the green he is 182nd on tour in strokes gained putting. So, yeah, you're talking about one of the better ball strikers on tour who is also one of the worst 
putters on tour and under pressure that putting seems to break down um i i really have a fondness for keegan bradley i know his ticks on the course oh yeah why is that well you know i'm i'm from new england he's from vermont slash massachusetts i grew up on the border of vermont and massachusetts um he's just a good new england boy he loves playing good golf <laughs> the passion of keegan bradley the Ryder cup keegan bradley i thought you know for a moment yesterday are we going to be talking about keegan bradley Ryder cup contender oh, my goodness it's a Ryder cup year this is like vince carter playing in a uh, contract <laughs> year keegan bradley in a Ryder cup year he just doesn't necessarily have the raw tool so look i love keegan bradley this I don't. I can't say that this feels like a step in the right direction, but he's playing really well. I bet he sees it as a step in the right I direction. Hope so. The guy finished solo second. He made a right. This is one of those money. instances he up a where a lot of points. He, yeah, and he beats 143 other golfers. Yeah, there's something very important to be said for that, and uh, I'm sure I'll take it as a as a net positive for his week. But I just wanted you to kind of. Just bring yourself back to normal yeah. for your expectations of your boy. Did anyone ever call you a good New England boy? Mm, yeah, I think I think just naturally, if you're from New England, at some point you get referred to in in some way like that. Can I just? I mean, look on my team. One of the reasons Keegan is on my team, accountability. Here's what he said after his shot. He said, uh, "This is the 13th where he hit the only ball in the water all day." He said, "I just hit a terrible shot." I hadn't really hit a bad shot all week, and you just can't hit it there, obviously. You can't hit it right of the flag. And I just came out of it a little bit. It got gobbled up by the wind. If it goes another yard, it might be in that bunker, but it was a bummer. That's what I like out of my guy. He just said he hit a terrible shot. He, he did. You know, he's, he's going to own his own shortcomings. Keegan, get him next week. Do you think Xander owned his shortcomings on 16 at Augusta? No. Good. I'm glad that you could say that. Xander had a chance last week to kind of walk back his initial comments that he hit a perfect shot on 16. And he said again that he hit a perfect shot on 16. Actually, he <laughs> said he didn't remember what the reporter was talking about at first, which was kind of funny. And then he said he still feels really good. So it sounds like... Maybe he maybe he just has a different definition of the the word perfect. If you take Xander at his word, he is losing no sleep over his tee shot on number sixteen at Augusta. <laughs> Doesn't sound like you're comfortable doing that. Let's <laughs> move on to Pine Valley, the number one golf course in all the You've world. You've been there, Sean. Take yeah, I have been. You've been there more than me. Uh, Pine Valley has decided that they are now going to join the 21st century and they're going to eliminate any type of discrimination or anything in their bylaws against women mm -hmm. meaning there will no longer be rules that women can only play at certain times at pine valley golf club uh there's no longer anything uh in the bylaws that says women cannot be members uh and they are in fact hoping to start right now addressing the lack of female members at Pine Valley and hopefully approve and accept uh, female members later this year. Uh, I didn't realize that they, they weren't allowed 
I didn't realize there were no female members at Pine Valley. This might have been some ignorance on my behalf, but it, it didn't strike me as a male-only place when we visited. Uh, this this kind of felt like, you know what, kudos to you guys for addressing it on your own, but maybe you should have done it two decades yeah, ago. Yeah, also maybe, like, not really kudos to you, but, <laughs> like, definitely – this is a this can be both a good thing and also not a particularly impressive step, but also a very yeah. important step. I mean, the thing about Pine Valley is it is in many circles considered the best golf course in the world when you just are talking about the golf course. And you know, we we had the fortune to play it. It is magnificent. I mean, it's big, it's hard, it's really difficult, it's demanding. Almost every hole there is memorable. Um, it's pretty impressive, but I mean, this letter that went out to members was overall, it was a a solid letter, but the, uh, the letter said, remember, we don't want to be on the wrong side of history. And it's like, fellas, you guys are already on the wrong side of history. (laughs) You guys are, are clearly behind the times here in sticking to this. Women can only be guests after 1 PM on Sunday. I mean, that is it's crazy. It's, it's just such a retro thing. Um, it's funny too. I was surprised. Now I'm, I'm never surprised. I can't say that just how, uh, you know, in the comments and social media related to this post, so many people are against this decision. Is that, what What? do we chalk that up to? Is that just people? Wait, who are you talking about? well, I don't know. I hate to do this like straw. Man. I hate to do this straw man thing, but it's like when you go to an Instagram post and one of the most liked comments is saying something oh. like, you know, another another one goes down to like woke oh culture. God. I just it's that's crazy to me. You, so your stance is essentially <laughs> yes, this is this is actually bad that women will now have access to the best golf course in the world. That's wild to me. I, I don't know why we shouldn't get Man. too focused in like just responding to general commenters no. on this podcast, but, but it was hard if to that ignore. population exists. We would like to suss them out, you know, through one means or another We'd like to have a discussion um, with them. Just a, an amicable discussion. Yeah. Okay. So I guess, you know, there's a little self-awareness on their behalf. <laughs> it's long overdue. And they said that. Um, to me, though, I guess being my age, I have a hard time imagining how these places uh, became this way and stayed this way for forever. Um, and I, and in particular in the last 15 years, mainly because you have the, the Martha Burke uh, vendetta and and like the putting Augusta national on trial that lasted for clearly like half a decade. Um, so then Augusta national, the only other club in the world that tends to try and put itself on the same level as Pine Valley, um, had that news over a decade ago. Then like 2016, maybe 17, um, Muirfield over in Scotland ends up basically butting heads with the RNA because their male membership did not want to allow female members at Muirfield. And the RNA says, if you don't allow female members and take away these discriminatory, uh, discriminate, uh, discriminating bylaws, 
you're not going to be allowed to host the open championship. And so that happened almost five years ago. So we have these gigantic, uh, historical marks, news stories in the game within the last 10 to 15 years from these worldly important clubs and Pine Valley, who tried to keep this under wraps, still didn't do anything until this freaking week. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's kind of the glaring thing here is like, okay, you were issued a summons back in 2012, and you were in, in another indirect summons in 2016 or 17, whenever it happened to Muirfield. And you were kind of issued all these indirect summonses over the past three or four years. Um, when other industries decided that they were not going to discriminate or at least try not to against women. And only now you're making those moves. The <sighs> tone of this, the tone of the, the note really gives you the sense though, that once someone introduced it, they're like, yeah, let's do that. We, you know, we've, we've been talking about it. It sounds like a good idea. It was, it's like, yeah. it's like no one, no one, no one considered it seriously, but it was like once one person, you know, raised their hand and was like, Hey guys, do you think we should kind of join the, the 21st century here? Everyone was like, yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. Hopefully that's what it was like. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Pine Valley is a funny place, man. It really, it's, it's because it has this reputation as one of the most private exclusive golf clubs in the world. I think you get the impression that it is one of the fanciest clubs in the world and that it would be, um, you know, gaudy, uh, some crazy clubhouse, some, you know, special secret dining room. It's, it's not really like that. Um, it feels like summer camp in there. And I think that that, that's probably where this initial, like, men only thing stems from is yeah it's it, it it's the oasis it really has this like yeah boys camp vibe to it um but it's not a fancy place i mean the remember they have these old metal lockers they're the whole thing feels like it's it's taken out of a different decade so yeah i guess that's what this all comes back to is that things time sort of stopped at pine valley and now it's starting again. Yeah. All right. Well, enough about that club. Uh, let's move on to a couple other news stories from the week. We have reached the 23-minute mark in this podcast. Let's talk about Phil Mickelson, who missed the cut at the Valspar. Um, I don't know how, how many times he's played the Valspar in his career, but he shot even par, and he talked afterward kind of upset, you know, not thrilled with his game. And he said he's struggling – focusing or rather regaining focus he says i'm not physically able to keep my focus as i've gotten older i have a hard time focusing and that's my challenge right now and i'm trying to come up with i'm trying all different things to be able to elongate my ability to stay focused or to refocus and by refocus he really he's kind of saying like look if i hear a cell phone if i hear you know fans shouting or if i need to step off uh, a shot I'm having a hard time refocusing, getting back into that shot. What I struggle with with Phil is that I don't know if I necessarily believe this to be his issue. <laughs> like if it was just a focus thing, I think he would have weeks in which he focuses really well and then weeks in which he doesn't. And I would have expected him without fans on the course over the pandemic uh, 
era on the PGA Tour to have played quite well. You know, how, how could you be backing off shots if there's no fans that are bothering you? I don't know if I believe this. And I think when it comes to Phil Mickelson, we have uh, saying anything, we have the opportunity to believe him or to not believe him. And I, th- I think there's more going on in Phil's game. And he, of all people, definitely enjoys not a cop out, but uh, a more optimistic excuse than what might be the actual truth uh, kind of underneath the hood. Yeah, he's been saying some version of this for the last few years, I feel like. Um, I think it's partly what spurred him experimenting with different diets is to try to get his mind and his body operating <laughs> sharply. It's what got him into this whole coffee phase. So it it is a little strange that he doesn't feel like he's necessarily gotten closer to solving it, even though he's tried for so long. I mean, to some extent, I think what he's describing is aging, the aging process. I mean, he's north <laughs> of 50 years old. I think that yeah, you're just getting older. Yeah. Dude. Your fine motor skills. There is some deterioration that just naturally happens there. Um, I mean, hopefully that won't be the case for you or I at any point, but <laughs> never. <laughs> um, but there's an element that I do believe of Phil Mickelson has played so much competitive golf that even in an exciting golf tournament, he may have a hard time zoning in and not, you know, spacing out for a few holes and, and not Whoa. bearing down to do X, but Y, is that, and Z. I mean, but is that the difference in four strokes around? No. <laughs> That's that's kind of my thing is it's like you're kind of if your challenge right now, Phil, it, if you think you're playing solid golf and the, the kind of main thing holding you back is this focus thing. How significantly is it holding you back? Is it two strokes around? Is it one stroke around half a stroke? I don't know. You know, like it's easy to to pinpoint a kind of non-technical, non-physical uh, issue and say that's what's holding me back yeah. and you kind of get kudos for addressing and being transparent with mm-hmm. what you think's holding you back and then ultimately it's like well you also miss at least you know oftentimes half the fairways and you yeah. and you're not the ball striker you once were and so like let's say you were phenomenally focused Phil are you contending it, I don't know yeah it's sort of sounds to me like Phil is trying to convince himself that he has all the physical tools to compete. And I mean, he's clearly not far off. We've seen what he can do when he goes up to torch the champions tour. Um, He finished just outside the top 20 at the masters. He's, he's made a bunch of cuts, but I think that, you know, when we come off the golf course and we have not played to our full potential, I think, I think you always have this instinct of saying, man, I'm right there except for X. And for him, probably the easiest thing to swallow is this idea that he's just zoning out and that he still has all the physical tools to still has all the physical tools to succeed. When in reality, I, I don't think you can completely separate the focus from the golf swing itself from the physical, like it's all more connected than I think he's making it sound. And this focus is not like a, an on off switch that you can suddenly just flip back to the right direction. Yeah. And that's why it must be frustrating. Cause I mean, like he lost to Hideki by 10 shots at the masters. What I need to understand, you know, he shot 75 on Thursday at the masters. Like you turn that into a 68 somehow and you're, you're actually in contention. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I guess I, I need to understand is like, is Phil finishing T21 at the Masters? Is that the new standard for him for a good week, like a really good week? Because eventually that is going to be the standard for him. And if it's not now, it'll be darn soon. Like, what is his new standard? What is his new ceiling? It's going to be, it's going to continue to shrink. Well, that's how it goes, man. Yeah. 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 You know what they say, father time being undefeated. But I think a weird other measurement for Phil is whether he keeps winning these matches, these celebrity matches that he sets up and whether he keeps (laughs) bringing like his absolute a game to those things, because it is pretty funny when he seems to be talking a lot on national TV he can almost always back it up with an impressive shot. At least that's my impression. So I think that's sort of where this comes from is in Phil's mind, he is still the man. And if you give someone a wedge shot and you say, Hey, you have to hold this or get damn close. Phil's probably still not taking anyone else on the planet to hit that shot besides (laughs) himself, because I think his self belief, you know, small picture is, is still that high. But clearly he's having some doubts as to his 72-hole stroke play performance and and aptitude. Let's move on from Phil slightly. Well, wait. My question with him is like when he needs to get up for the majors and whatever right now, like he kind of doesn't have major starts ahead of him. He's not qualified for the U.S. Open. I don't know if he, I think he is probably qualified for the PGA or we know about it. He's about to start losing those opportunities. And so father time being undefeated, sometimes father time punches you. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes father time, like, you know, you joust a little bit and eventually father time wins, but sometimes it like knocks you out and you like completely fade into oblivion. I don't really know what, what Phil's future holds on that front, but it uh, it could come quickly is kind of the point. Uh, let's move on to Taylor Gooch. And I know if you're not uh, really paying attention to the PGA Tour all week long, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But Taylor Gooch shot five over, missed the cut. And that's not a story at all. But the story is that he got in a little bit of a Twitter spat with some people that were unhappy that he didn't play well. Some people that bet on him uh, – on either DraftKings or whatever, they bet on Taylor Gooch to perform, and he did not, and he missed the cut, and he didn't play well, whatever. Uh, One guy in particular said, Taylor, come on up to New York. We're playing mini golf, and I will beat you, and I will take money from you. Eventually, they go back and forth. A lot of people are getting involved. There's notifications flying around left and right, and Taylor Gooch is like, okay, you know, put, put a bunch of money on the line. We're talking four figures. Let's do it. And this guy never really committed to it. Taylor Gooch was ready to book his flight. The guy said, book your flight. And then Taylor Gooch is like, put your money down. Yeah. And he never really did. (laughs) That's a lot. Um, How do we feel about that? Well, I think what you're alluding to, the path that you're leading me down, is that there is an awful lot of trickiness when – pro athletes become self-aware about the wagering that's happening on them. And this is hardly a brand new problem. I mean, shoot, it's over a hundred years ago that the, how many fantasy football guys get chirped about, well, you, you fell down on the one yard line with a minute left instead of going into the end zone. Why'd you throw four interceptions, Patrick Mahomes? Like 
I don't know if he's ever done that. Why'd you throw any interceptions, Patrick Mahomes? We're more than 100 years removed from the the Black Sox scandal now and the Chicago White Sox, you know, throwing the World Series. It seems like the incentives are not really there for a PGA Tour pro to really get screwy with, you know, taking money or something like that. But it's not outside the realm of possibility that at some point, uh, a pro is going to have that on their mind during a big moment. Yes. Um, yes. I think if you're someone that is like Taylor Gooch, who's who's far from a household name, you probably hear from detractors and like daily fantasy people in your mentions more so than say Phil Mickelson, who could probably tune it out because he pays attention to the mentions. Yeah. I mean, never check your mentions is a, it's a good lesson for probably most pro athletes, but, uh, all right. So what do I think? We're, we're kind of dancing around it here. I think that this in itself is harmless. I think it's also indicative of something that it is going to be really tricky moving forward. And the lines between the athletes, the entertainment product, and the gambling are all becoming blurry and blurrier and blurrier. Yeah. So the other like part of this is that Gooch was like obviously spending a lot of time in his mentions. He eventually paid people who screenshotted that they bet on him. So he Venmoed one guy 50 bucks because uh, he must have bet out on uh, Gooch in a matchup of some sort. Um, and so he Venmoed the guy 50 bucks. He Venmoed another guy like 30 bucks. Uh, he Venmoed a guy $11 for Chipotle. So he was kind of, you know, earning a little bit of goodwill. But also, like watching that, I was convinced, one, DraftKings needs to get involved this way. <laughs> DraftKings, the official like, gambling partner of the PGA Tour, needs to kind of uh, – get on board with a player and be like, you know what, if I didn't perform this week, you bet on me, we're going to pay you back. It's kind of like what Taylor made did a couple years ago when it's like, Hey, if Rory wins a major and you bet on Rory, you're going to get a free driver. Did Rory win? But if he doesn't win a major, yeah, you, you buy the driver. And if he wins, you'll get it for free. If he doesn't, you just got to drive. Did he stuff like did that? Did he do it? Did he win the major? No, Rory, uh, of course did not win. the major. Shoot. Of course. Uh, the point is, DraftKings should jump on this and get involved. But really, I don't think I don't think the PGA Tour wants stuff like this happening. It's funny, other sports have in injury reports, you know. The NFL releases all that information Sunday mornings during football season. I mean, there's guys that literally have careers that are based off of reporting injury status of NFL players on Sunday mornings for your fantasy lineups. Golf doesn't really have that golf. So you could see a world where, all right, what if Taylor Gooch is now logging on Wednesday mornings and saying, Hey guys, my game's not feeling that good. My, my practice this week wasn't great. I've got this lingering wrist thing that won't really go away. Maybe he stops short of saying he's a good bet or a bad bet this week. But I mean, that's the sort of thing that I could see more of is like if enough people are asking you in your mentions like hey how are you feeling this week should i bet on you xyz eventually you respond or you you answer to that line of questioning in some format i don't know if that's a 
an explicitly bad or problematic thing though. Well, what I think the tour doesn't want is guys feeling bad <laughs> for any reason that they played bad yeah. because like that, 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 that implies, like you said, that they know at some point while they play bad, that they let somebody down beyond themselves and their caddy. Yeah. And, uh, I think the tour needs absolutely unbiased golf play uh, and unproblematic golf play for it to maintain like the amount of good money that's going to be going into this. Yeah. It's there's potential for controversy. It all is probably tinier than I may be giving it credit for right now. You want to, but there's sorry, keep going. What? No, go ahead. I was just, I was just curious if you wanted a Taylor Gooch fun fact. Let's hear it. 2015 Syncrude Boreal Open presented by Akon. <laughs> not not the rapper. This is A-E-C-O-N. Um, Dylan DeChair, Eugene Wong, and Taylor Gooch played together the first two days. Uh, did Eugene win? Eugene did not win. Actually tell you what i might be getting my my wires crossed here it might have been a different tournament anyway taylor gooch went on to finish t2 in this uh in this tournament in fort mcmurray canada probably the northernmost professional golf tournament held in north america maybe ever and um that's pretty much all i got chair finish uh that was an mc actually all right i think i think i got my wires crossed there it was a different tournament where i played with taylor gooch that tournament I shot 79, signed for an 80. So you oh. don't get disqualified if you Give sign one for back. a higher score. You actually just take that higher score. That's pretty generous of you. Yeah. Now imagine when that happens and there's going to be gambling associated with it. Oh, my if Dylan, goodness. Yeah. Dylan DeChair signs for a 76 on the PGA Tour, and the over-under was 75 and a half, and he actually shot 75. That's a really interesting point. Yeah, second round over-under. Oh, that's where things can get a little hairy. All right, we need to move on. Hopefully, people are still entertained by this podcast. Everyone has stopped on the LPGA. <laughs> on the LPGA tour, we have uh, Hugh Kim, who wins by one. Uh, I thought MB Park was going to run away with it. She shot sixty-four in the first round, maintained her lead through the second round, and then kind of sputtered seventy-seven on the weekend. Hugh Kim is a top ten player. She's really good. Uh, but, I mean, I was a little surprised to see NB kind of sputter. I know. I mean, we've gotten so accustomed now to, to seeing NB close these things out again. She played okay on Sunday. She she made a few birdies coming out, out of the gate. But then to make bogeys on both par fives on the back nine basically turned it from her tournament into, you know, really a crapshoot. Um, Hyoju Kim shot 64 I mean, played basically a flawless final day. Eight under, eight birdies, no bogeys. Um, I mean, all credit to her. Hannah Green obviously is going to be kicking herself. She bogeyed 17-18 to lose by one. So obviously she was right in the mix as well. I do like having the LPGA Tour. They were in Singapore this week, but they've been playing on during, uh, you know, traditionally non-golf hours the last few weeks and then it's you know it gets you in a nice little rhythm of being able to turn on the lpga in some form of prime time no doubt uh 
Last few notes. The tallest player in PGA Tour history is is going home after missing the cut at the Valspar Championship. <laughs> His name is Jordan Hahn. He is a University of Wisconsin Badger. Mm. He is a senior right now. And uh, what what the truth may be is, you know, he might be one of the most famous PGA Tour players to ever play at University of Wisconsin now. And I don't like admitting that, but the truth is the University of Wisconsin golf program has truly struggled. Steve Stricker did not go there. He went to Illinois. Uh, Jerry Kelly did not go there. Andy North did not go there. He went to Florida. All these guys that have made a, a, a you know a bit of a career for themselves for being Wisconsin guys on the PGA Tour did not go to UW. I went to UW. I would love to see a little bit more action there, but the team and program just can't do it. Uh, I was curious, though, thinking about who is the most famous Wisconsin Badger on the PGA Tour? Dylan, are you the most famous Williams golfer on, in the program's history? Wow. Um, that's a really good question. I think there was some guy that ended up becoming like a senator that was on the oh, golf team dang. in like so the 70s. Not. So definitely not. Maybe you're on the podium. But I was thinking of Jordan Hahn. You know, Bryson keeps talking about how the golfers of the future are going to be six, seven, six, eight. They're going to be monsters, and and so you see a guy like Jordan Hahn Monday qualify into the tournament, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's happening. And I think I wonder if like <laughs> tour pros have any if Scott Brown is is looking up and seeing this guy who's six foot nine and thinking literally what is happening here. But literally then looking, he up. goes and shoots seventy eight in the opening round, and I bet that the. Uh, you know, the the shorter players on tour, not that they were explicitly rooting against him, but they were probably a little bit happy to see that big crooked number coming out from his first round scorecard. And, and he, he only beat, I think, a half dozen pros through two days. Hey, 71 on Friday, though. Give the kid a little credit. 71 on Friday. He hasn't even graduated college yet. Come on. I'm holding on tight to any UW Badger success in the PGA Tour. Uh, my final note, Dylan... Mm-hmm is just a little tale I think that was worthy of including. Bring it on. Um, a PGA Tour caddy who shall remain nameless uh, emailed me three years ago, mm-hmm. uh, and he was upset with a story that I had penned, a blog post, really. What else is new? Reacting to the news. Reacting to the news of the week, and... Uh, he basically tried to put me in my place and said, Hey man, you got to think about the caddies. Mm -hmm. And I was like, look, man, I'm just reporting on the news. And, uh, that happened three years ago. Did you, did you say as a fellow caddy that you kind of understand his struggle in your email? I really should have, (laughs) but to that point I had not even caddied for you. Yeah. Okay. Um, Never mind. That's how, that's how long ago this was. Go on. You were barely an employee at our company at this point. So I, I emailed him and said, hey, man, no, you know, I had no bad intentions. I didn't mean to, in your opinion, not think about the caddies. I, 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 I do love caddies, whatever. I love all caddies. <laughs> um, and he never responded. Mm. And I was a little surprised. I mean, his initial email, he was kind of upset. So I was like, okay, well, he's just, he's kind of still bitter at me. We can't do a make good at this point but maybe I'll see him on the PGA tour and we can shake hands and call it that. Never respond. A couple months go by, no response. 
in fact, over 36 months go by, over three years <laughs> go by. This is 40 months later, four zero months. I got an email on Thursday morning saying, hey, appreciate the note. We're all good. <laughs> you got to think about the caddies. He emailed me three years and change after I responded to him out of nowhere. And didn't, did he acknowledge that, oh, I was just thinking of this th- email three years four years passed. later. <laughs> no. Just played it completely straight. That's what, <laughs> that's what blows my mind the most about this story is what are the mechanics involved here? Was he... All right, look, when I really have to respond to an email, but I can't do it in the moment, sometimes I'll double click and I'll just leave that window open behind my email browser. Has my man been doing that for the last 40 months and he finally just got to (laughs) yours? Or like, did he leave you on unread? I would love to see the process that led to him finally responding this weekend. Yeah. I'm going to be optimistic for him only because it's the most respectful way of doing this and assume that, yeah, there was a lot going on in his life at the time. And he kind of just did the thing we all periodically do is like, you get a little bored. Let's go scroll back Mm. to the emails I've got in this inbox. Let's do a little cleanup. Maybe let's, let's get rid of some, some emails. And and he kind of happened on one and then he realized, Oh damn, I didn't respond to that. That wasn't, that wasn't really respectful. You know what I bet happened? I bet, because look, you only do something like this when there's something else that you have to do that you really don't want to do. It's like why kids in college would say they always clean their room during finals, because you don't want to study. I bet my man was putting off doing his taxes. He was like, you know, I really got to go through some emails. Taxes got extended to May 15th this year. I think the timeline checks out. This is the ultimate form of tax procrastination. I guess... Caddies probably pay as few taxes as they possibly can, getting all that cash. But you're making oh, money God, in I different states. I think it's probably a mess. Yeah. So I, I think that's most likely what happened here. Yeah. yeah, and this is a successful caddy who's making money in a lot of states. A lot of money in a lot of states. So that's where I'll leave it for me and that caddy and, and you and the drop zone. We've hit the 46 going on 47-minute mark. That's it for this week. we got the Wells Fargo Championship coming up shout out to the wells fargo uh card holders out there like myself and uh, we'll see you next week